from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Third down and three. Garoppolo will float it. He's got Kittle. And Kittle is gone for the touchdown. Blitz off the edge. Ayuk has got his second. Touchdown 49ers. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Tuesday. Cofield and Company on the road. Ari's in the Finley Toyota Studios. John Von Tobel is the company today. He's also the uh, tech guy extraordinaire. Cofield and JVT on the road following the running Rebels as they play in a basketball tournament. They were victorious last night. We'll get into that victory and the look ahead. Some UNLV football coming up. Some Raiders later on. NFL for sure with Miles Simmons and... Sam Paniotovich, so big show on the way. Let's get to it, Ari. It's the three on Cofield and Company. John, incredibly busy today. John, of course, his full-time gig is with VEASAN, but uh, is on the road working with UNLV Learfield like I am, like Curtis Terry is, like John Sandler is. And I always like to talk about the road. Um, I generally don't talk about it to the end of the show because I don't want to jinx the setup. But uh, it's always interesting when we go on the road and it's like, hey, let's find a place to do a show. Now, over the years, it's gotten a lot easier, John, than it used to be years ago. Um, I'm not doing this as like old guy shaming, but um, it used to be, you know, quite the effort to go on the road and find a way to do shows. We always did them. We always found a way. Like we were basically on the beat with Cofield and Company going back to like 2004, 2005. We were on the UFC beat. So that was always kind of interesting going on the road and lugging around a bunch of equipment, finding somewhere in the hotel, or we'd book a local restaurant, or hell, there was a time, I think, uh, actually, you know what, it was here in Orange County, because we're in Dana Point, California, the uh, UNLV basketball tournament is in San Juan Capistrano at J. Sarah Catholic, um, there was a show that we did from a sports bar right near uh, your beloved Angel Stadium, Yes, where we just could not get a good connection, so uh, had to stand at a service area at a restaurant and drag the line into the kitchen. I was like, okay, whatever we have to do, whatever we have to do. So uh, the uh, hotel here in Dana Point, nice enough to set us up with a beautiful makeshift studio. So this is a pretty cool setup. We are good to go. Can I say? Yes. I'm incredibly nervous. Why is that? Well, th- th- can we tell our audience oh, yeah. what we're actually doing? I do this all the time, so okay. I'm, I'm not nervous at all. <laughs> And you'd be surprised, like, how many people uh, could come up and they'll be like, oh, that's cool. So, for those who have, we are, we have set up in the business center of the hotel lobby. Uh-huh. And uh, I have run a cord across, like, the, like the, little, like the little room yeah. uh, to an audio, you know, to an internet jack. And every time somebody walks in here, I'm like, oh, this is it. This is where they're going to tell me, like, what are you doing? I have all this equipment on this desk and we're doing a radio they, show. They won't say it. These business centers are hardly used anymore. Yeah. And I've been doing this for years. Uh, covering the UNLV beat, you just you settle in. Someone walks in, you're like, "Hey, what's, go- like you know, what's going on?" Essentially, yeah, someone, you know, what? hey, at least someone's using it. Well, That's the way I look at it, can I also say so? Two things. So since I've been in here, because I've, I've been here since like you know 12:45, so I've been doing other work and and setting up, and uh, I've had a couple people come in. Uh, one was actually a Minnesota assistant. That was it's funny. I felt like I was watching like you know top secret information because yeah. he was over pr- shoulder. Yeah, he was printing out some stuff about UNLV and like their roster. You know oh. what I mean? It was like it was it was like game plan stuff. 
Um, Little do you know who I am. Right. And so, like, I just thought that was interesting. And then another man came in here to withdraw money and tripped over the internet cord. So uh, I felt that, bad. That, that part's bad. Right. Yeah, I felt bad about that. Got to make sure we don't uh, get li- you know, liability for ourselves in the hotel. And, and, right. And then um, the other thing that I'm doing, because you mentioned I have a busy day, uh, right before this I was recording my uh, Superbook podcast that I do uh, part-time with Jay Cornegay. John Murray's off this weekend. Um, and I, right, it was perfect timing. But right when we're about to sign off, some guy comes in to start printing stuff. And I'm like, all right, Jay, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> so it has been quite the adventure in the business center well, for me so at far. Least you didn't unplug the main computer and you didn't unplug because always the backup is they've got an ATM machine in here. We've done shows all over the place online for the ATM machine. People don't like that. When you take the ATM machine offline, they get a little angry. So, yeah, UNLV is on the road. They're playing in this uh, SoCal Challenge. Late night spot, which we'll get to the uh, the late night hours and, and how interesting that was from a basketball standpoint a little bit. Now they're set up to play Minnesota because they did win yesterday against Southern Illinois. Southern Illinois by the Ken Palm numbers, I think was 94. UNLV was 97 going in. So UNLV win by win here is creeping up a little bit. Certainly, if you're going to be an NCAA team, you got to put up a big non-con record. you got to put up a good record in the Mountain West Conference. You're going to have to win some Road games in the conference, you're probably going to have to uh, get at least one of the four games, if not two of the four games, against teams like Wyoming and San Diego State. But, you know, this is where the build starts, and they're going to face Minnesota tomorrow. Last night against Southern Illinois was really interesting. Two really good defensive teams, two teams that don't have a ton of offense. Uh, SIU was a bit hobbled with two of their bigs out. We know that UNLV is also missing one of their bigs, West Virginia transfer, hometown hero. Isaiah Cottrell, he's out at least for another week or two with a a fit injury. But this one kind of followed the script that the Rebels have had all year, which is play good defense in the first half. Offense has a little trouble keeping up. Um, They trail, and then adjustments at the half. And what seems to be wear and tear on the other team starts to kick in. And the other team... I don't know if SIU gassed last night, but they were a different team for the last 10 minutes of the game. Well, also, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning for them, right? Body clock That's the other thing, because I hadn't even processed that, because um, a lot of people around UNLV, not the team, but people around UNLV, were kind of pointing out, hey, this is late, 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 late. Like, we even talked to the players afterwards, and by the way, they won 56-49. Talked to the players afterwards, and EJ Harkless is like, this is the latest I've ever played a game. And now I asked... John Cooper, the assistant before the game about the late start time, and he's like, you know, we'll see how they react. Kids are up late. You know, they're playing video games. We don't know, you know, if they're going to be playing basketball well late. Um, but I was confident they'd be fine. But you're right. That's the other thing. You've got a Pacific time team in UNLV going against a central time team. Like, the end of the game at midnight. So 2 a.m., yeah. Right, at midnight. So you're talking 2 o'clock in the morning for SIU. But I think the groundwork was laid in the first half with good defense. And those last 10 minutes, just like a couple of the other games, the annoying defense, and they're, they're, they're proud to say that, the UNLV program, the annoying defense that's played for the first 25 or 30 minutes, it, it sort of breaks the other team, or at least they start looking around. They're like, man, we're getting tired. Four points for SAU in the last 10 minutes of the game. Uh, you mentioned there was a longer stretch where they only scored two. I think it was like just over six minutes or something where they only managed two total points. They had they they scored zero from the ten minute mark down to two, actually one fifty nine left. Yep. So it was roughly right at about eight minutes. 
zero. No free throws, no field goals. I mean, you can't win games like that. No, and, and like that was that was what was impressive because UNLV they did ultimately force twenty one turnovers, but they weren't they weren't forcing turnovers and getting out in runs like they were doing in the first few games. Right, they were forcing turnovers. They weren't really turning them into points. But that, that's part of what it was. They, they, and I thought the most impressive defensive possessions weren't the ones in which they were forcing turnovers. I, they were, was there like three shot clock violations for SIU in that second half? I thought yeah. I counted. Yep. Like those were the ones too. They kept moving the ball, moving the ball, moving the ball. And UNLV would just switch, 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 do, have a guy in front of them. There were a couple of skip passes where they would give up an open three-point shot, but it would, still wouldn't fall for them because that shooting really regressed for SIU in the second half. That, that, those were the possessions where I was really impressed with because you, you talk about annoying. They are – they seem to be – and I get, basketball players are all in good shape, but UNLV seems to be in such good physical condition where they seem to be playing with the exact same intensity from the start of the game to the end of the game. And watching them up close like I've been able to do early on, that it's, that's been the most impressive part to me. In these second halves, they look like they have the exact same gas tank that they did at the beginning of the game. UNLV will win over Southern Illinois. First 5-0 and start in five – Seasons. The other thing they did really well is you make the other team play defense. And in the case of Marcus Damask, who's the best offensive player for the Salukis, uh, he was nailing a bunch of threes. I think he had four for the game, and that's a team that's not a good three-point shooting team. But he was he kept them in the game. He got him a lead in the first half. And then Kevin Kruger here talks about a strategy. You know, we're talking about defense, a strategy on offense that essentially put SIU's best player in a pickle where. He had to play defense on the ball, and I think that gassed him out down the stretch. They're an elite defensive team in the half court, so uh, we, as a staff, we, we talked in one of the timeouts just about doing something a little different. And uh, what we just kind of ended up settling on was ball screening with a guard um, and just kind of putting them in a situation maybe that because uh, their bigs are so good in, in ball screen defense. Uh, anytime they could get kind of into their shell defensive spots, they're, they're elite. And uh, so that's kind of what we came up with was just to set a ball screen with a guard, not necessarily anybody specifically, just uh, we just wanted to kind of mix it up a little bit and, and try to get them in closeout situations. But uh, in the half court, they're, they're a really, really good defensive team. So he kind of brushed off, not anyone specifically, kind of brushed off the, the notion that it was Damask, but Curtis Terry on the broadcast said, hey, that looked like that was the goal is to get their best player out in a you know guard-guard situation with a pick, make a decision. He's got to defend someone getting downhill, and uh, Keyshawn Gilbert got downhill a bunch. Uh, EJ Harkless got into the lane. He made some big shots down the stretch. So we'll get to why it works so well on defense again, but a good 5-0 and start. Uh, they have a chance to win the title here against a Minnesota team that's around 135 in Ken Palm. They're in the bottom half of the Big Ten, but I think they've got a lot of upside, so we'll get into a preview later this hour with their coach, Ben Johnson. I want to mention this real quick before we get to a little hockey and talk some VGK with Darren Millard here in less than seven minutes. This is a massive day. Another one of those days in Vegas where, you know, John's been around Vegas forever. I've been around Vegas forever. If you go back to around... I mean, you can go back further back than I'm going to mention here, you know, for the true locals, right? But if you go back to the late 90s, early 2000s, as Vegas starts to explode and grow, the notion, again, of sports embracing Vegas and not being afraid of Vegas and not villainizing Vegas seem like such an impossible concept. And today we find out that the Final Four, this is kind of the, the final frontier, college sports, fully embracing what Vegas is, which is the best tourist destination, the best host city for big sporting events in the country. 
the Final Four is coming to Vegas in 2028. Awesome news. We'll get into that as the show moves along. So jam-packed show today. Ari's running things back in Las Vegas. We're here in Dana Point, California. We're going to get into what's going on with the Vegas Golden Knights, our regular Tuesday spot with part of the uh, AT&T Sportsnet broadcast team, Darren Millard. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at me, JVT, or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Stevenson taps it for Martinez. Back to the left, Stevenson in the circle. It's Stone, the righty side of that. Petrangelo, he scores! Alex Petrangelo, and the Knights take the lead 5-4. to four. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 beginning to look a lot like. Christmas you go. Well, you know I love this. Take a look in the fire. Mr. Christmas. On Sport Talk Radio in Las Vegas. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Uh, we are in Dana Point, California. We, JVT, and Cofield around the UNLV uh, basketball road trip. Another game tomorrow. That'll be a 7.30 start. 7 o'clock tip on ESPN Las Vegas. You hear VGK highlights. On the way back, good win last night. We'll get into that a little further in just a couple of minutes, but good comeback victory against a team you did need to beat in Vancouver. Uh, this place is pretty crazy. Orange County, on the coast, Dana Point, they love Christmas here. Like, their decorations are already out. Yep. The lights are everywhere. Very impressed. Very impressed. This would be my kind of town if I could afford it. I'm very pro-Christmas, <laughs> so I'm, I'm definitely in. Uh, Have you become more pro Christmas with the kids? No, no. Now you're so it's actually it's it's hurt the cause. Uh, yeah, I've always been super pro Christmas. Nice. And actually, I, uh, I you know I had to bring Isabel down to my level because she was not very you know pro Christmas. But I was like, dude, come on! Like this is the best time of the year. It's winter. Sports are awesome. It's cold and she, chilly. Is that is that what hooked her? The sports part? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> it's, it's uh, shockingly enough that did not get her. Hey, wife, I'm going on the road for uh, 23 of the next 30 days, and I work yeah. every single hour every day. <laughs> right. Yay! Uh, happy holidays. But the uh, <laughs> what's it called? The the thing that I the, this is like I, I guess I'm kind of cheesy about. I I think this is like a generally just like happy time of year. This is the happiest time that I am for many. Know? Yeah. For others on the show, not so much. But we try to be understanding with them as well. Yeah. But for you and I, it's pretty happy. Willie's pretty good into it. I'm not sure. We'll have Candy on tomorrow hosting Cofield and Company. We'll get the update. And uh, Adam Hill, it's not his favorite time of the year. So I think we got a great gift today. We knew we were going to get it eventually, and by we I mean Las Vegas. And there may be some people who listen and they're like, ah, you know, this is annoying. Every time something happens with Vegas, getting a new event, Cofield goes crazy and goes back in the time machine. Yeah, but it's worth mentioning, especially for those of you who are new to the market. You don't realize what it was like 15, 20, 25, you know, go further back years ago when we were the pariah. And now we've added another marquee event with the Final Four. And this was that final hurdle to get over because, and let's say it, you just heard the Golden Knights pull off another victory. What are they, 15-4-2 now. The fact that the Knights are here and the NHL made the effort to get them here, and we made the effort, right? We had a big season ticket drive. And they got, you know, the season tickets pushed beyond like 15,000, 14,500, whatever it was. The fact that the NHL was willing to take that first step, I mean, they were in it for the money, but certainly if we had showed up, John, with like 5,000 season ticket buyers, we're not getting the team. So the, the community showed the commitment. The NHL showed that it was ready. 
to stop with the childish fear mm-hmm. that all these major sports leagues had. At least, and it was oh, the major fear was honestly just a PR thing. Right. I don't know that most leagues are really afraid of Vegas because they recognize that sports gambling happens. And the rest of the country slowly opening up to sports gambling, legalizing it. That helped. But Bill Foley was a big part of it. And the NHL was a big part of it. And now look at how this thing is steamrolled from VGK to the Raiders, now to an NCAA regional coming up at the Fortress, and now the Final Four in 2028. And through all of that as well, awesome job by a lot of the people, LVCVA, Jim Live and Good on the ground here to get in really good with college basketball by basically opening up Vegas, convincing them you can have your postseason tournaments here, and it's all led to this. So we have another mega event, and I've been to Final Fours. There are so many bad and, like, just weak cities that host the Final Four. For the fans who come here, it's going to be a freaking dream. It's going to be incredible. It, like, and, like, March – and think about this, too, on, on top of it. Vegas is already a great destination for the first round of the NCAA tournament. You know how many people come out here just to watch the games and sports books and whatnot. It's a it's a ba- it's an incredible event. Now that's just another great thing for the economy. Holy for, crap! You know what I mean? To get twenty twenty eight, we basically every single weekend, yep, including the Final Four, is going to be just off the charts, Bafo. Yep, and it's good. It's good for the economy. It's good for our city. You get money into the economy, of course, and everything like that. I you know I think it's tremendous. It's really exciting. Of course, people who work in sports is exciting for us too because the environments get a lot better. You know, people come down here that we want to talk to and everything, but. I think it's just good, man. And you mentioned all the other events that are already. You know, did you mention F one? Great, because that's coming too. I mean, F one might be the biggest one of all. Yep. I mean, they, you know, these other leagues when they come in, they they obviously they bring tourists, they invest a little bit of money in the market. The fact that F one bought a piece of property on Koval and Harmon, which was dilapidated for years for like two hundred forty million dollars. That's insane, and they're committed for at least three years, unless we pull a complete flop, which we won't. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a yearly event moving forward. And, again, when F1 is in, those were the times outside of NFR, which saved our asses for years in the beginning of December. Thanksgiving on, the rest of the year, like, whew, kind of slow around here. I I remember years you could book a, a staycation, you know, when there weren't resort fees, and you're like, we're talking freaking $25 rooms. Yep. Um, and now all of a sudden we've, you know, the LVCVA and – big sports embracing Las Vegas, it's now made late November and with the way the NCAA tournament works all the way through March, another busy time, another busy period, the first quarter of the year, the end of the last quarter of the year, are big money times for Vegas. Yep. It'll be cool to see Allegiant Stadium in that event, in, in that uh uh, in that light as well, right, as a basketball venue and to see how much they transform it and what it'll look like from a crowd standpoint. Um, that's always pretty interesting too. But, no, this is – I don't know how you would look at this in terms of it being negative. And if it's a success, you get part of the regular rotation as a Final Four city. We should. I would say so. Especially – look, I mean, you mentioned the good events they've already had. The NFL draft went off very well. Other than was it wind that week, which was, you know, control of the wind was a little nuts. But it went off very well out here. Like, and, and to think back too, Steve, you mentioned bringing up the past. It's not only just all these people who would have these negative thoughts about, hey, you know, Vegas and gambling and not having events here. Go back to, was it the 2007 All-Star game for the NBA? And how much of a disaster? That could uh, have ended it all. Yep, yep. They, how much of a disaster that was from a logistics standpoint. And instead, here we are now getting the Final Four and a lot of other events and all of them going smoothly. Trying to look at other Final Four locations over the years. 
Well, I mean, immediately I'm going to cross off cold weather locations. It just drives me nuts. And if right. everything isn't centralized and you can't you know, walk within a reasonable distance at the Final Four, then the city really shouldn't be hosting it. And in Vegas, you can, you're going to be able to walk. So, I mean, by 2028, I don't even know what the room total is going to be because we have so many potential projects on the way. We're over 155,000 rooms now. So we could be, what, another 10,000 rooms by then? Mm-hmm. Might, might be more. We, we potentially, if you go down to what they're going to do on the south end of Las Vegas Boulevard, not south end, but further south on Las Vegas Boulevard, with that arena project, that's supposed to have a hotel connected to it. If things go down in some form or fashion on the old wet and wild site, there's still more property that's being scooped up. Uh, Tillman Fertitta just bought on the corner of Harmon and Las Vegas Boulevard. So that's going to be another super high rise. I mean, we, were waiting. we could have, we could have freaking 12,000 more rooms. We could have 170,000 rooms. Right, and I've been to some Final Fours where you're like, what freaking motel number am I right. staying at? Thirteen miles outside of town, and it's still paying two hundred dollars for this dump, the Hacienda Motel or whatever that is, right behind the uh, right behind the Red Dragon there on Koval, whatever we were talking about. Remember when we were driving in? They have those, uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? They have these weird little. Uh, is it a motel or it might be apartments? Might be a, din- a little dinky apartment building. Hell, guess what? Airbnb in 2028, if it still yeah. exists, you can get your your apartment near the strip. But sold for two thousand dollars for the week. No, it's. I think it's cool, man. Watching the city develop and grow and getting a little bit more on the map, and it just leads to more things. And of course, as we know, it's already being looked at as an expansion site for the NBA potentially. Like, there's a lot that comes from a lot of these sort of things. It can only be a positive, and especially for so many people who are listening to this and who are already listening to this, who are going to benefit it because of their own jobs. Right in these casinos and in these hotels, like it's it's so much better for everybody out here that we get these events. Cofield and Company live here on a Tuesday. John von Tobel is in. It's Cofield coming up next. We got some uh, rumor mill stuff going on with college football. We'll get into that as there could be a big name coach on the move. Wednesdays, it's the Marcus Arroyo Radio Show at six p.m. right here on ESPN Las Vegas. I'm just not a fan of the direction we seem to be headed where we're liable to end up with two super conferences and college football becomes NFL light. You might end up with the SEC and the Big Ten, and in reality, the only thing that really matters in the college football world is what happens uh, between those two conferences. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. I agree with that guy. Dan Deerdorf, that's a nice get for Greeny. How old is Deerdorf? Can the vast research crew look that up? Is he like seventy-four? You're always right on these things. No, I'm not. I'm, he might be even older. Seventy-three. Seventy-three. Yeah. That was a good guess. It was a really big character for a long time in football, especially when he was doing Monday Night Football, and of course going back to his days playing for the St. Louis Cardinals. Part of their very, their, their very dirty Jeez. offensive line, but uh, that is that is one of the things. Oh, he's a rough looking guy. Oh yeah, you're looking back at big number seventy two and the, yeah. the front teeth missing. Oh yeah, and he's got the nose that looks like it's been broken fifty five times. Yes, right. I, I agree with Deardorff on that. Um, I'm not against all movement in college football, but you know this. As of six months ago, the, you know, the talk about there being two 20-team conferences and then having, like, a triple-tiered college football world with the SEC and the Big Ten at the top, 
the other power fives and relegated to a next three, and then the group of fives, who the hell knows what was going to happen? Um, I hate that. I hate you know the, the possibility that the Big Ten and, and SEC could you know scoop up but, teams from the ACC and the Pac-12 and basically break them up. It sucks. I think there's a, there is a need for all the regions to be represented by conferences with schools and the traditional rivalries. I mean, while I'm interested in UCLA and USC playing the Big Ten, it blows that they're not going to have traditional rivals like they've had over the years of Cal and Stanford, the Arizona schools, you know, go up to the Pacific Northwest. You're not, you know, you're not going to be locked in with Oregon and Washington and a lot of the other schools in the Pac-12 in terms of rivalries and the chance to pull upsets. It sucks. Well, maybe Oregon. Maybe Oregon. The door's not closed, right, for Oregon in the Big Ten? I hope, but- I hope it is closed. But I could see it happening. I mean, you you need some travel partners. It's not. Although that said, it's not like Oregon and Washington are anywhere really close right. to uh, California. They're mega trips from the Midwest, and obviously Maryland and Rutgers in the Big Ten have to go all the way up to Seattle and Oregon, and vice versa. It's just oh, stupid. You know, Rutgers going to pull that all the time. They're going to be like, oh yeah, sorry, got to go back to back road games. Well, see, and you, you know, see from that. that standpoint, I'm just uh, I'm just glad uh, to have the school as part of the mix because that's the other thing. The next five or six years are like. How do you freaking survive if these other conferences, you know, the top two conferences are getting like $110 million a school with the SEC and the Big Ten. You know, even you have like an $80 million gap down to the Pac-12 or the, you know, the Big 12 if they're making $40 million. It's crazy. It is. I mean, there's always going to be an appetite and that's for per football. school per year. Right. And there's always going to be an appetite for football. So, I mean, I would say some of these conferences would die. Uh, but I, I, I would I, – I'm really curious your thought process there, though, because you you said you were pro, you, you've always been pro movement. I've been pro some movement, but I think we reached a level where now we're just going to have two mega conferences, like having a power five, but then also allowing the group of five a chance in college football, like they have a chance in college basketball. I think that was important. Having two conferences make up 44 teams or 40 teams, and then almost suggesting like, hey, they're going to have their own championship. That would have been total bullcrap. And the other thing that's crazy is because the money is so big, you have these perverse situations like at Auburn where they've got Malzahn and then Harson back-to-back within like a two-year period where they're like, oh, we have to pay buyouts of $29 million. All right, here you go. It's pocket change falling on my – I mean, come on. Right. That's gross. No, of course it is. I just – I always thought – I didn't know about 20 teams – but I thought this was like the natural progression when things started moving, right? Like these peg power conferences just snatching up some of the the more well-known programs and like at UCLA. And All right, 64 teams or 80 are in the mix. Yeah. Now, it, when you reduce it to 40 and then everyone else has a chance of like, you know, 5% of the pot and championships, that's, no, it's, it's crap. I, and then the other, the, the other thing we never factor in is when we have these mega conferences and bizarro regional alignments, mm-hmm. like – the conference is just not football. These conferences, it's not just football. The Olympic sports are funded. Those are important scholarships and, and programs. And, you know, the education for those kids is vital. And, and all of a sudden you're going to have, you know, swim teams are going 2,000 miles on, on the reg or 3,000 miles yeah. to go compete in their sport. It's dumb. No, I'm not saying, like, I, I agree with all of that. What I'm just saying is, like, if you're, if you're the powers that be at the Big Ten and the SEC – I just figured the natural path when this all started was like, yeah, why wouldn't we not snatch up as many programs as we can and corner the market and essentially grandfather our way in to a college football playoff of whatever amount and make sure that our conference is always represented at the highest level and probably going to win quite a few of those championships. So that's what I expected. Uh, again, not t- like 20 teams each side, 
Uh, but it seemed like that was the natural progression. And who knows? Well, maybe the playoff field expands and you can include more of these and however they're going to format it. But it, I w- if I was in power in those conferences, this is what you would want. The great thing now is the money's gotten so out of control that uh, even within a conference, there's very little loyalty. So mm-hmm. if the initial report is true that Lane Kiffin may jump from Ole Miss to Auburn, which is, you know, people at Ole Miss, their heads are going to explode. You know, the thought was, hey, you you don't really steal coaches from within your own conference. Auburn doesn't care. Right. They're gross. They want to win. They're jealous of Alabama. I still think this is a cyclical deal where eventually Alabama is going to fall down back to the pack a little bit once Saban moves on. He's, well, I think he's uh, is he the same age as Deardorff or, you know, he's right there. So how much longer is he going to coach, right? He's 72, 73 years old. Yep. Uh, but Lane Kiffin could actually jump from Ole Miss to Auburn. Now, from a story standpoint, uh, I – don't care about Ole Miss. In fact, I, I root against them. So them losing their coach. And Kiffin willing to go into the fire in the Alabama-Auburn rivalry is friggin' awesome. Yeah. I think it'd be great. I mean, it's very Lane Kiffin. Yep. Right? Just, hey, you know what? He doesn't care. He doesn't have loyalty. Hey, and it's another challenge. Yep. You stay somewhere. He's done a good job at Ole Miss. I think he'll do a good job at Auburn. And if I, that's one of the few guys, if I were an Alabama fan, I would be afraid of Auburn getting. Oh well, we, I, absolutely. Because one, Cause he's it, not he's not seventy three. So he's gonna be coaching for a while. He'll exactly. be he'll be there when Saban is ready to walk. That and that was that was the thing I was going with. Yeah, Saban's. It seems Saban is at the tail end. I would assume, being a seventy one year old man. Um, but at the same time, even if Saban somehow lasts another five to six years, Lane Kevin's gonna be there. He's gonna be successful. And and we've talked about this before. I, I wouldn't say that there are, like, self-sustaining monsters in college football. Maybe Alabama's always going to be, like, a good program, given what K- uh, Nick Saban has done already. But as we have seen now, you're not guaranteed to be that 10 and, or that 11-1, and nope. 1, 12-0 team anymore. And once Saban goes, who knows what happens to that program? And with Lane Kiffin just sitting there in the SEC going, all right, we got money, we've got resources, I'm a really good coach who can maximize rosters, let's see what the future looks like. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. Deshaun reverses left side. Now back to the middle of the floor. Now back down the left side. Steps through. Golly. Gets fouled and gets it to go. Keyshawn Gilbert, a tough drive to the basket. And able to put enough spin, enough English on the ball, and it rolls in and a chance for a three-point play. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Cofield, JVT on the road around the UNLV basketball team, Dana Point, California. SoCal Challenge, grinder win for the running Rebels, off to a 5-0 start. They have a chance to win the title, but they got to get through a tough and big Minnesota team, and we were uh, courtside last night watching the Gophers, so we wanted to talk to the coach. Ben Johnson is up with Cofield and Company. How are you, Coach? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're good. Thanks for a couple minutes. Uh, first of all, give me the uh, the positives of what you saw from your Gophers. And, uh, again, that was a grinder victory that had to go to overtime against Cal Baptist. It was. It was. Uh, you know, first off, I think um, the kind of respect we have for, for Cal Baptist, and, and I think the team that they have this in the last couple of years, um, you know, we knew that was going to be a, a grinded out type of game. Um, and so I thought what our guys did was they, they rose to the challenge of competition. And I thought that they were able to battle through some early adversity with, uh, you know, foul issues with, with 
two of our main guys and, and our young guys were able to step up and, and be key, not only in the first half, but in the second half. And, you know, sometimes in games you, you have a lead, you got to learn how to play with a lead, and, and we gave that up, and, but we bent and we didn't break. And so I thought our guys showed a lot of resiliency and uh, competitive toughness to close that out. Yeah, you mentioned it for those who, who didn't get to watch it. You guys were up 15 uh, nothing early, and Cal Baptist uh, started to uh, creep back into this. So for you, uh, what did, what were they doing well and uh, on court? What were you guys doing in terms of adjustments to kind of hold on to that lead and eventually take it? Yeah, no, I think, you know, we did a good job of um, – we kind of delivered the blow early, um, which is you always want to get off to a good start. But sometimes as a coach you get off to too good of a start and you worry about um, – just human nature kicking in and, and kind of letting the, the foot off the gas. Um, not that we did that, but it was just uh, that early in the game, you know it's a long game and they're going to come back and make a run. And so I wanted our guys just to stay aggressive and have aggressive mentality uh, regardless of the score. We, we never worry about the score. Just like kind of let the, the, the score and the clock run out and it's about each possession. And I thought that's what helped us in the second half is that, um, you know, we worried about the possession hand and whether it was offense or defense and guys were able to really push through and fight and battle and do whatever was necessary to uh, to come out with a victory. Staying calm in that game was a narrative across the board, including yourself. And I'm not setting you up to bang on the officials, but we were sitting on the baseline where maybe there was a missed call where a Cal Baptist player <laughs> stepped on the floor and we were watching you <laughs> and you just kept saying you can't miss that. How do you stay composed in that situation? Because it's a tight game. You get a technical, and that could be the difference in the game. Well, and, and I, I to be honest, uh, so I had to catch myself because, um, to your point, you, you don't want to be the reason why your team ends up losing or gets put in, in a tougher position. Um, but at the same time, um, it was tough. I'll just put it at that. Um, but, you know, that's part of it. You know, they uh, nobody's perfect, and, and i got to do a a job just like players to adversity, whether that's a call or a play, you got to be able to move on to the next play. And um, you know, I think myself and our team, um, you know, again, we, this is we treat this like a road game. And you know, sometimes on the road, you're not going to get calls, and sometimes call gets missed. You got to be able to to that next play and uh, put that behind you. So fortunately, uh, we were able to, to withstand withstand some things in the second half for time, and, and again, lead us to a, to a really good victory for our program. You, uh, you're building much around, uh, you know, some experience in terms of your core with uh, Jamison Battle and, you know, Dustin Garcia, guys played at a few different places. You've got some veterans, but you're also playing a lot of freshmen. What are you selling to get kids, uh, one, to stay home in the area because you have some homegrown guys, uh, but also like even a kid like Henley from Ontario, California. What do you sell about Minnesota basketball now to, to build this thing up with good recruiting classes? Yeah, I think our, our biggest message is, um, you know, you can achieve math that's athletically at Minnesota. And they uh, want to play second fiddle to anybody. Uh, obviously, we're not at a Kansas or Kentucky level right now. That doesn't mean that we can't uh, have those same standards, and we will. And uh, I want our guys to feel like they're at uh, the best of the best that provides everything that they need, you know, academically, socially, and, and athletically. And um, I think kind of when you have that vision, you really believe in it. Um, myself and my staff are, are two feet in on it. Our team and the culture that we've built uh, is two feet in on it. Um, and you try to recruit like-minded kids that, that are about the right stuff. And, again, we're not necessarily for everybody, but for the kids that we're 
about and we're a fit for, I think it's a home run. And and when you can find a home run fit, then I think that's when both people take off, both the, the program and the player individually. Um, and so we just try to do that. We try to identify the kids that are right for us, um, that are obviously talented enough to play at a Big Ten level and, and, and talented enough to compete for a Big Ten championship and try to make a run in the tournament, uh, but at the same time not losing sight of who we are as a program and, and what works for us. And you've got good fans, but no one should forget. You guys have a rich history. I mean, you played there, but you know, there's been a lot of winning over the years of uh, Minnesota basketball, so you've got a lot to build on that way. The history's there. There has. No, there has. And, and you know, we remind our guys about that all the time. And at the same time, um, you know, we're in a great, great conference with a lot of tradition and history in our conference. And um, now with, you know, kind of this whole realignment and everything that's going on, um, you know, we try to start that again, going back to recruiting. Um, about being in one of the top dogs across the country. You know, now our brand is going to go from West Coast to, to the East Coast. And so that, that's allowed us to expand and get a Jason Henley and a, and a Devin, Dennis Evans from the West Coast. Um, you know, I don't know if we would have gotten that normally. But um, you know, we want to make it a, a destination spot for, like I said, the kids and families that, that are right for us and, and try to really do what we can to put Minnesota on the national map. Last couple of minutes here with uh, Minnesota coach uh, Ben Johnson, who uh, has Minnesota in the finals of SoCal Challenge, taking on UNLV. It's a 7.30 start tomorrow on ESPN Las Vegas. So, Coach, uh, what's your scout of UNLV on paper? It seems like a really interesting matchup. You guys pretty big up front uh, with a smaller, more guard-oriented UNLV squad. They're a talented group. Um, You've got a, got a ton of respect for for uh, Coach Kruger and, and what he's done there. I've, I've uh, been able to follow him. Um, for a while, obviously as an assistant, but, but as a head coach as well, and, and understand how he's trying to build it and how those guys and the staff are trying to uh, compete and play. Um, so have a lot of respect for that and know that it's going to be uh, a tough, hard-nosed um, game. You know, you look at their numbers just defensively and, and what they're doing across the board. Um, you know, nationally, it, it speaks volumes to their effort, intensity, and, and, how, and how they go about their business defensively. So we know we're going to have our are uh, going to put our hard hat on, and we're going to have our uh, our work cut out for us to, to get anything going offensively. And then we know that uh, for them, they got they got a lot of guys that can go beat you one on one, and and can get downhill and you could put, put points on the board. So we're going to have to really good, do a really good job with our defense ourselves. Um, but I think it's going to be a, a really good matchup of, of two teams that are that are growing and building and. Um, and are really hungry to compete and have the opportunity to, to go home with a championship. Uh, last one, Coach. Who are you familiar with from you know the recruiting trail? You know, players are going all over the place now. Transfers. I know Jordan McCabe's a Midwest guy, but who else do you have some familiarity with from the past on this UNLV roster from a player standpoint? Yeah, that's really – he's the main one. I mean, I've watched, uh, I've watched him since high school, and so I knew about him. I mean, there's a couple of kids that they had. I played at Oklahoma. Um, that you know we've kind of known uh, for them and, and been able to chance to see them at different levels. Um, and then you know I'm a big fan of just college basketball in general. So being able to watch uh, the Mountain West last year and this year, uh, you get kind of get familiar with kind of the personnel. But as you guys know, it's changing every year. So uh, you got to kind of almost update update your memory Rolodex uh, as the year goes on. And it's it's kind of unique because now you're you're going to play against teams where you're seeing kids they just weren't with the team that they're at right now, but you've seen them at.
Coach, we appreciate it. We'll see you out at the gym tomorrow. Thanks for a couple minutes. Hey, thanks, man. There he is. Uh, ben Johnson, uh, 41 years old. A little older than uh, Kevin Kruger, but both guys who played uh, in the 2000s and, you know, were taking over jobs where there are high expectations. Obviously, Lon Kruger uh, had the best success at UNLV, and now Kevin, who played for his father, is in his second year. And, you know, Ben Johnson's the guy who played at Minnesota, had, uh, you know, a long run as an assistant coach all over the, the Midwest at Northern Iowa. There's some familiarity there going way back with UNLV in the tournament, then Nebraska, then uh, was on the Minnesota staff, was at Xavier up until uh, a couple of years ago, and then took over for Richard Patino, which I still look back at the Patino exit from Minnesota, and it's real interesting because that recruiting class that I got to watch up close last night I think is pretty solid. Mm-hmm. And in this case, their sweet spot is kind of three-star guys ranked from about 160 up to about 220. I like what we saw from a bunch of their freshmen. Patino was bringing in a higher-level guy, but he set the expectations super high. So every year, the fans are expected to win 25 games and be in the top five of the Big Ten. It's always that wrestling match. Like, what is a school? What should the expectations be? Like, I think Patino is going to do a great job at New Mexico, and I think the Lobos have a chance, if healthy, to be a top-five team in the Mountain West Conference. It was That was a great get. Yep. For New Mexico, but Minnesota's in that transition period, and I think they do have upside, but they're going to rely on a lot of freshmen, and they're relying on a lot of bigs. So tomorrow's game is going to be great. Like UNLV may have a tough time in the game if they can't do anything offensively, but defensively, the big v small stuff, love it. Right? Who is going to dictate what happens in the game, and will Minnesota destroy UNLV on the boards? Going you know six ten or six seven at the three, and then a rotation of. 6A to 7-foot guys at the 4 and 5, or is UNLV going to speed this thing up so much that it's going to freak out the guards and freak out the ball handling with the bigs? It'll be a really good game to see how it unfolds. I can't wait. Well, and also with UNLV, I mean, they're, they're obviously small in stature, so the rebounding thing is going to be pretty big. But they're also so strong. Like it, like a guy like Luis Rodriguez, he's going to switch on to like the Pharrell Payne kid we were watching, the six foot nine freshman forward. But I think he can match up with him. Like if he's got if he's got his back to the basket, whatever it's going to be. He was tough. He he's six nine two forty, and man, he likes to dunk everything. And he's a big, thick kid for being whatever he is eighteen and nineteen. To use the cliche, can play above the rim. Like he oh, yeah. he he can jump out of the gym. He was great. No, I, I'm I'm with you. I cannot wait to watch who's going to be able to dictate the pace. Uh, what Kruger's going to do if they are forced to go a little bit bigger. You know, like there's been an interesting front court rotation. We saw it like Vic Iwaku uh, yesterday pulled more of the minutes. Played twenty four to eleven for uh, um, Mooka, so I wonder how that's going to work there. I can't wait to see what it's going to be like. And, and kind of, too, from a pace standpoint, Minnesota's super slow this year in terms of pace by Ken Palm numbers. You know, if he wants to run. So, like, that's the interesting part about it, too. I got a text from a fan on the game last night. Mm-hmm. Fun to watch play defense. Painful watching the sixth-grade weave is the only offensive set. Oive. I don't think it was just that. I think there's a little bit more to it. I, and I think they wanted more. Like, so, for example, offensively, I was – and I don't know how much you heard. You, you were right next to the bench, too. They wanted them to post the ball up a lot more and get some stuff out of that, not just necessarily work on the block, but post it up and then kick it back out to shooters and do little things off the ball. I think they want more out of their offense. They're trying to run some more stuff. I think they're they're right now in a zone where they're trying to find out who the alphas are, and Gilbert and Harkless are emerging as those guys. 
Uh, Lou Rod can be an offensive guy. He finally started to come out of it last night. The guy started the season 1 of 16 from three, and he had a couple of threes last night. So that's developing. But we told you from the beginning, this will be a defensive team. And, folks, grow to love defense and the concepts because this team is really good defensively. I'd also say it doesn't help that Keyshawn Gilbert was slipping every time he got it. 